Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. You are on Community Radio 3CR, this is the Spoken Word Program, and I am George O'Hara. And today we have a live recording from the Dan O'Connell Hotel with the feature poet, James Jackson. James Jackson, a.k.a. The Beast, a.k.a. The Monster of Poetry, is the last protege of Shelton Lee and the original rock star poet. Encouraged by Shelton, James first read at the Dan in 2004 and first featured there the year after. Over the ensuing decade, he has busted up slams, other poets, and the expectations of many an incredulous audience. At the conclusion of the 2007 Monster of Poetry show for the Overload Poetry Festival, James was detained by ASIO in relation to several undisclosed matters. He was released soon after. A former New Aussie wrestling heavyweight champion, James still wrestles professionally, although recently he has been focusing on hip-hop and other allied ventures. James writes about diverse topics, such as the northern suburbs, Yowies, Gar, Burkers, and his exceptional existence, and why poets don't go to the police to solve problems. James Jackson has to be seen to be believed. Look out for upcoming promotional movies on Facebook. To find out more about James and his work, check out www.jamesjackson.net.au. So let's have a listen to James. I'm a scholar and a gentleman, but understand how now and then I like to set it alight, it's not right to keep quiet. Remembering my Charlemagne like Dr. Jones Senior or drinking crystal flutes of champagne from the region. I'm the reason, the rhyme, a man for all seasons, Kubla Khan in a poem, opium-induced pleasure dome. Visitors from Porlock, pack your things, and go to f home. That's where the art is. An anarchist like Kafka, not convinced that your politics can be fixed, but pretty sure the world is full of wacky shit. Orwell 84, post-World War II, London Airstrip 1, pick dystopian fictions. King, Christopher, Wyndham, all reflect the time in which they are written, spitting this shit because I can, before it's forbidden. Hell's Bells, H.G. Wells was on a mission, Morlocks locked in idiocracies remain unforgiven. Last exit to the smart house, keep going. The road fast tracks to cataclysms, Cormac showed order fast forward back to a blood meridian, fragile Apache tears made from obsidian. Baths in a prism of postmodern schisms, swimming upstream in shit written by kids from mugwumpism. I saw the best minds of my generation on television, the drug of a nation. Sometimes dejected, I reflected, even I'm infected. Read Moby Dick and laughed like Beavis and Butthead. Next, I'll misinterpret the satanic verses. Idiotola's curses got the course of modern literature diverted. Call Umberto Eco, a crisis needs to be averted. Lear, lost in the forest, all 
but a fool, deserted. Now the bard's too hard for the English class syllabus. How retards take charge. Watch our my balls. Discuss. And I'm stuck in this faux elite Ikea diaspora with who think Lolita is about pedophilia. Would you believe Burroughs used to hang with Anthony Burgess? Why I don't stop searching, no matter how many degrees I got mine without nine separations. These anxieties arrive without time. Preparation is useless. Dispute this Fahrenheit 451 mother running Angus and Robertson. Need to be whipped by Swift. The Dean will flay you raw, I'll say what for. Crimes against art and being a moron, this as it develops. 30 second brackets, facets of this package of ratchet. I'm gonna crack it. Nurse Ratchet is running this whole modern racket. My bug out bag is a pill that's almost still in its packet. Strangers we, ships drift at sea, nightly pass on, endangered species, a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you very much. It's good to be back at the Dan. It's fantastic to see you all. Thank you. Now buckle up. It's frigid. There's intermittent spitting. Feel the city breathe through damp clothes. Bronchial and wheezy. Let's go. The engines roar. Chock-a-block with dawn. She's been listening to Triple J. The young folks are all so mournful. Who made who? You like Akadaka, don't you? Could be a long drive otherwise. Brian is posing a question of Darwinism. Christ, did you see that? A dwarf was punching a tree outside the commission flats. The last time I was that surprised, Auntie Winsome told me that she's lived in Fairfield since 1937 and she's never been to Preston Market. Uncle Arthur's got Alzheimer's when he remembers. His mind is all Bell Street at five. Not this 60s slide across the lines. We're going to see Jezza. He invites us inside. The girls have drawn worlds. Gulliver, I pick my way across the floor. Paper islands, oceans of polished boards. Jez makes tea. Freya climbs all over me while Bindi and I talk. They both poke me in the guts and are affronted when it's not soft, like a pillow full of rocks. Bindi wants to know, why not? It's muscle. I feel a fool. Those countless hours in the gym, but nothing but Arnie on the wall, the creaking machines like a lighthouse door in a storm. I could have used that time to raise a child, but Jez is doing the dishes, singing Devon, drumming, the suds. We talk of words and music and never growing up, walk out younger than I came in. Plaits and glitter in my hair climbed on like a jungle gym. We've got nowhere to be right now except the land of the living. The road glistens with drizzle. Cloud apertures slip a little sun. Now I'm going to show you where I used to live with Gar. Fain interest, here we are. You impressed? They couldn't pull the old place down, heritage listed. I know it doesn't look like much, but it's even less. Just left to remember or forget. Gar didn't want any development, but I guess she got her wish.
They say on moonless nights you can see her stumbling blind looking for her long-lost grandson. Come on, you should have seen your face. Oh, man, you were like one of those kids in Round the Twist. Have you ever, ever felt like this? According to my watch, it's midday. Time for Red Rooter. The only chain takeaway food they let into Elfington True, Fairfield, too. Yet the paper mills used to spew directly into the Yarra. The smokestacks jacked and spurted and covered the whole area in an obscene, toxic snow. Years ago. And now it's gone. It's gone. I went through it, Zev. Hole in the fence. A few good breaths of asbestos to top it off. Of course, there was nothing left. Just grass and dust. You are listening to 3CR Spoken Word and a live recording of James Jackson. A quick word about some live poetry gigs in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel Carlton has poetry on every Saturday afternoon and Passionate Tongues is at the Brunswick Hotel every second Monday night. Westward happens out at the Dancing Dog Cafe in Footscray twice a month on Sunday afternoons. Voices in the Attic runs fortnightly on Tuesday evenings at Ferdydirk Levels 1 and 2, 239 Lonsdale Street and the House of Bricks on or near the last day of every month run by our very own Santo Cassati, corner of Bud and Kill Streets, Collingwood. All of these gigs have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work with others, or you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com, to find out more about the scene. And now, the second set of James Jackson. Call of the Yowies. Down in the shadow of the Blue Mountains, you'll find a tiny town called Bleacher's Reef. For 40 years, all told, I was their police. Just me. And it was always quiet, except for the time. The little girl got killed by the Yowies. They were well known to almost all the town. We'd seen them around the forest from time to time, mainly at night down the back of our properties. Once I saw a family, parents and a little baby, I watched them until they noticed me, turned away, and with an untold grace blended into the trees. I'd often heard their calls across the valley, watching the setting sun from my balcony. I'd dreamt of a time I never really knew of this land sands, white men, a different hued country I imagined stretching out before me, visions of beauty inspired by the call of the Yowies. Now, we'd never speak of these matters to outsiders. We knew we weren't crazy. We knew what we'd seen. We didn't need to be laughed at on TV. Sometimes someone would lose a sheep or a lamb and blame the Yowies and claim it was them. But I knew it was that mottled fox I saw by the dam. I never liked the mayor, Wally Bleacher. His great-grandfather had found the gold reef there and moved the poor blackfellas on and started the town... Some reckon he waked the women and when he was done he moved them on with his gun. Probably gospel truth, I never liked his grandson. I'd known him all my life and at inopportune times I'd catch a look in his eye and knew it was all wrong. They found her naked, raped, throat slipped by the creek, her little clothes in shreds, her body covered in leaves. I knew Wally was guilty, 
but I had no leads. So he planted the seeds, the idea grew like trees, and soon the whole town believed she'd been killed by the Yowies. Now, long before the internet, it was easy to keep a secret. Bleacher organised a clandestine town meeting. The people were livid. It's like they turned evil. They wanted Yowie blood. Their anger had no equal. I had no choice but to agree with their one voice. I was convinced of the Yowie's innocence, but I simply didn't have the evidence. A bloke from ASIO turned up. How did he know? Wally must have tipped him off on the phone. Calmly outlined a final solution for retribution. The town had turned villainous. I've seen nastiness, but that made me bilious. With a vile cheer, the Yowie's fate was sealed. They finished the meeting with the singing of God Save the Queen. Next morning, as agreed, these blokes came to me, supposedly ASIO, but I was suspicious. They seemed sadistic and mean of spirit like the blokes you steered clear of in national service. They said they were SAS, but I wondered. And they'd been POWs of the Japanese, and on the day the Yanks arrived, they liberated the camp, and they turned a blind eye when these blokes hung their Jap captors and skinned them alive. Then I knew I was in for quite a time. What could I do? I was the police. Just me and us three, those two, drinking scotch and armed to the teeth, drove out to the forest where the Yowies were seen. And of course, Bleacher turned up to supervise, but I recognised the look in his eyes and the murder in his mind. Not hard to find. And eventually we picked up the trail of a male. I swear he knew we were on his tail. He tried to lead us astray, but to no avail. In the end, it was his call that gave it away. Probably trying to warn the rest of his family. Those blokes were canny and pull a bullet in his thigh so he'd slow head for home and lead us right to the prize. Sure enough, he snuck into a hidden cave. They began the raid by setting aflame the surrounding scrub. It was a cub who made his way through the smoke coughing. I thought of my daughter learning to walk. Bleacher let fly. I saw that look in his eye, surprised. The cub fell at Skull Hollow. I heard the call and saw the rest of them follow. Some aflame, screaming in pain. Bleacher cut them down before they could get away. Those Ozio blokes, they were impressed with his aim. An old one came, grey and lame. I knew from his way decades were days. He woke in fright. The night the tall ships came. With all his might, he tried to summon his magic. He ran towards us, crazed, screaming in his language, until he was sprayed in the three-gun blaze. We dug their graves, and the others gave me hell when they checked my chamber and found I hadn't got a shot away. And we got back to Bleacher's Reef in time for tea, and that was the last we spoke of the Yowies. And I know from a fact, from a police dispatch, those ASIO blokes, they never made it back. They left Bleacher's Reef and were never seen. We found their burned-out car in a deep ravine. Cause of death in the official report said they'd been drunk and gone off a corner. We searched high and low. Never found the corpses. I'm sure they were eaten by fauna or a meal for cats, foxes, or even wild horses. Years passed. Me and the wife raised our daughters, 
Bleacher's Reef remained utterly boring. I thank God for my life every morning, but sometimes on my balcony at night, the silence would send me quickly inside and I'd hug the girls and I'd hold the wife and put on a record to dispel the quiet. And many years later, just before I retired, Wally Bleacher was in bed, dying of cancer. I was summoned post-haste to his bedside among all those naive, weeping mourners. He bade me close, and I looked in his eyes, 70 years on, and he was about to die, and he was still vicious and filled with bile. He whispered, it was I, you always right. I split her insides and made her bleed before time, and only once did I feel better in my whole life, and that's when we wiped out those monkeys. I seethed, you, not me, you killed the Yowies, and soon yours will be the body on fire. Then I left him in his bed to expire. They found Polaroids cleaning out his house that none of us want to talk about, and I never shared what he told me. I want him to be forever lost in perpetuity, and I think I know how that might feel. Now I'll never again hear the call of the Yowies. Thank you. It's all up from there, folks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all up from there. <laughs> you can't see, but uh, my beard has an undercut. <laughs> Dr. Jackson, I presume what happened to your facial hair? Well, it's got room to move now. It's only half there. When in Rome, players pay to placate the ladies. Hey, matey, undercuts are back on the fashion plate lately. It's unnatural. My beard is not an animal. It appears an indefatigable Hannibal the cannibal ate half the beard straight off my mandible and disappeared like he was magical or Neanderthal. Striking barbers, plastered after the laughter. I'm liking the bastards and this half-beard disaster. Insult me, but it's weird living with this nightly. The results of my beard, living in the 90s. Or cursory shaving for necessity you usually only see when you're on a gurney for emergency surgery. Doc, Tell it straight, I can take it. Is my beard going to make it? Well, it's half amputated, but that's what makes it the greatest. My beard has an undercut. Don't you think it's weird that my beard has an undercut? It's not something to be feared, this beard with an undercut. It should probably be revered, this beard with an undercut. An empirical science and religion engineered, a miracle of modern manscaping, my beard strives to revive niceties from the 90s like sliders, Mike Myers, and massive mobile devices. It doesn't want to undercut the competition, but it can play Thunderstruck without fucking it up. <laughs> Hipsterbush rangers stand and deliver papers on its strange and captivating greatness. The razor's edge raised up from down under a shaving pledge, facial hair drowned in wonder. Call Michael Bay, my beard is a transformer. Fall down and pray he doesn't bring his camcorder. More than meets the eye and full of surprises, licensed, righteous, divisive and priceless. It's fear and wonderment in equal measure. This beard with an undercut is a national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> This poem is called 
the West Heidelberg Zombie Holocaust. We still don't know how it started and the government's been quite guarded, but still there are all these questions left to ask. It wasn't so long ago, so I'll tell you what I know. I was there, I think I'm qualified for the task. It was zombies, they said, the living dead, first reported on the Portsea Army Base. Then Sorrento was a no-go before you could say George A. Romero. They were all over the whole fucking place. They sprawled across Rye, defiant and high on life, or in their case, death. And it was the first time anyone could remember an empty foreshore in December they'd taken the peninsula width and breadth. So the government decreed Frankston was to be quarantined and not an eye was seen blinking it's what we'd all been thinking for years before the zombies convened. But this strategy failed and the zombies trailed right through the blockade, screaming brains. Strangely enough, seemingly seeking the stuff in the direction of Springvale. And soon, Glen Waverley fell. It had no chance in hell. And Chadston was just another coffin nail. And if it's any consolation, it was a cause of serious discombobulation and there's still zombies lost there to this day. The situation was getting dire, the eastern suburbs were on fire. But there's got to be a first time for everything, right? You might find it plotting around Nunawadding, but the zombies had one hell of a night. And with their numbers ever increasing, they marched up the eastern, feasting on any poor morsel they could find. And opinions vary, but I say they shouldn't have got off at Chandler Highway, but by definition, they were out of their minds. The government couldn't work out the disease, and all our soldiers were overseas, which made us food for zombies, albeit free range. Elfington quickly started to smell and property prices in Fairfield fell and we know Ivanhoe will never be the same. Those zombies must have cogitated and thought they'd proceed unabated and probably take Melbourne in a couple of days. And I'm pretty sure no one foresaw in West Heidelberg things would start to change. Had, the, had they demographic information or an inkling of its reputation, they would have got to Bell Street and turned the other way. But lacking in cognition and of limited erudition, the zombies continued with their malay. It was the explosives I first noticed, and I suppose I should have focused because that day there was history in the making. See, off from sleep I'm torn in the early hours of the morn, the sounds of fireworks, the cause of my waking. But it seemed with improvised fuses they'd put the fireworks to other uses. For as the zombies proceeded up Oriel Road, those in the vanguard tripped a wire as they ran hard, causing most of the mall car park to explode. Like a thousand New Year's Eve, sending those fettered brain thieves back to whatever hell from whence they'd come. Then the zombies began to get shot with guns Johnny Howard never got, <laughs> fired by whoever heeded the West Heidelberg war drum. They're old wogs with 22s they'd bought but until then never used and quite a few old boys who'd been to Vietnam. We found out later that they'd come across from the Rapat and that's why they were wearing slippers to a man. <laughs> and many African refugees who weren't prepared to see the violence they'd left behind ruined the West Heidelberg streets. They'd had a taste of war, obviously some time before, judging by the piles of zombie bodies at their feet. And there was, on more than whims, 
The many local crims, several of them celebrities in their own right. And even the junkies were arranged to search the zombie bodies for change, for compensation, to help rebuild the site. Seeing this from far away, I began to feel ashamed that I wasn't out there with them, fighting the good fight. So I scoured about, and as it turns out, the team who organised these civilian black ops were, to my amazement, a committee arrangement of the blokes who drink outside the corner shops. I never thought they'd have the gall to form a council of war, although they always seemed to be up to something. And as a convoy of bikers flew past on the way to kick some zombie ass, I knew I couldn't just sit back and do nothing. I said I haven't lived here long, but I'm fairly fit and strong, and there must be something I can do. One of the blokes turned around and looked me up and down, then said, I reckon I've got a job for you. When those zombies are crushed, which should be sometime before lunch, I reckon the fighting men of West Heidelberg will need a brew. I need you to learn how to set up the urn and maybe track down some bickies too. I won't relate my brave tale of going on the trail of Tim Tams for morning tea, but suffice to say that by midday there was not a zombie left to see. I can't tell a lie, I was mighty surprised West Heidelberg stopped a zombie holocaust. Those zombies didn't know how to pillage in the Olympic village and it was a lesson well learnt and well taught. So all you urban renewal bureaucrats and developers building flats and townhouses and units, please spare a thought. For the other zombies who arrived with hungry eyes and grand designs, for West Heidelberg, which haven't happened yet. As you've heard in this verse, it was them who came off worse. Fuck with West Heidelberg and see how far you get. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to be scared. We're supposed to be scared. When the TV is full of talent shows and who, by the blinding light emanating from the ever-loving Christ, is Red Foo when he's at home. And Tony's rabbiting on in Speedos with Rabbitohs and Russell Crows and who the f*** knows or cares. And I'm supposed to be scared. When any night I could go to bed three sheets to the wind and never wake up again to find Cerberus has pulled my washing off the line, or for those who are more etymological or nautical mind, has caused my ship to capsize. Clever, aren't I? And I'm supposed to be scared when whether we're on the beach or not is in the hands of men who'd kick sand in your face for fun. And I'm supposed to be scared when I could collapse trying to unwrap a frozen pizza, heart defeated, mum's pudgy hands gripping the kitchen bench in descent, wondrous mine died on national tiles, purchased from that guy who goes, hello, <laughs> goodbye. She died and Armsy and I didn't even get a slice. And I'm supposed to be scared of out-of-suburban kids who aren't white, the types who like to watch me wearing lycra, pretending to fight other failed dieters in front of a crowd of writers, my flesh whiter under the brightness of the Serbian club lighting. You may have been there, but it's unlikely unless you took the V-line and worked that out on your 
fucking Mikey. And I'm supposed to be scared when walking down the streets of Shelton's town as if some old enough to be my bun, my current son, you see, saying, oh, I'm a terrorist, could ever possibly stop Shelley and the Snowdrop Kid from going to Y&J's to see Chloe. I don't give a f***. I'll take my pit bull cross on the bus. I can't be stocked. I'll cock block you at the knock shop. I miss Rupert, but me and Jezza still get together and blow mad pot and make bottles pop. And I buried my burka in a PVC tube in a vacant lot so the bastards can ban them all they want and offer to pay me off if I give it to the cops or even confiscate the whole lot. You've got to be kidding me, brother. I'll just get my cousin Anne to sew me another. And let's see that cunts try and ban my cousin Anne. Now give me a hell yeah if you've got love for Libby and Steve and Norman and Anne and Cam and Eddie and Brian and Pam and everyone else who's made it so we can stand here today and read poetry at the Dan. Now give me a hell yeah! supposed to be scared. Absolutely. 3CR Spoken Word is on every Thursday morning 9 till 9.30, 8.55 on the AM dial and web streamed on www.3cr.org.au. We also do podcasts. So until next time, this is George O'Hara for 3CR Spoken Word.